We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. Before we get into today's pod, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here on Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you wanted to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and e-learning course filled with tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll get you sure Show published to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other listening platforms. And the best part is that you can get this all for $15 a month. That's the same rate that any other hosting site would just charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to your sports experience. Acceptance to the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode of find out more that's bwhustle.com slash join Welcome, welcome, welcome to the EP Podcast. I'm your host, Carla Navas. And with me today is my producer and co-founder, Brian Goins. I was hoping that wasn't just me. I got scared. Like, I thought so, my was going off or something. So I'm going to... It's like, I can't hear you. I'm like, okay, maybe it wasn't just me. So I'm going to give people a peek behind the curtain. Normally, we stream on OBS, and um, our video client was uh, decided they didn't want to work today. So we switched to the backup, and uh, I don't have things set up as... Uh, synergize as I'd like so I tried to do something with my audio drivers and it just uh, it fell flat on my face but it's okay we're functioning unlike the heat offense which we will get into in a second the bottom left hand corner you can hear his voice 
as the host of the Dunker Spot podcast, our statistician and podmaster, Nikias Duncan. Hello, hello, hello. I'm glad to be here and glad to be able to hear you, G. So that's, that's well, great. Listen, we're, we're all here. And, and uh, Nikias, uh, tell people the platforms that they can find your podcast, which, by the way, is not just cutting edge. It's it's literally like appointment listening. Like every Monday morning uh, when I get in the car to go to work, uh, that is the first thing that I pop in. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Stitcher. Um, we should be back on Google. There was some kind of weird glitch that our pod got replaced by another podcast on the network. So I don't know what happened there, but that should be fixed by now. If it isn't, it will be over the next couple of days. But uh, it is the dunker spot. We talk X's and O's and Steve drops in terrible puns every week. It's great. Okay, Steve, uh, your co-host, Steve Jones Jr., uh, resident New York Knicks fan. Uh, we need to, hopefully we get a little of this Knicks talk next time. <laughs> I love Steve. He's the best. Uh, also joining us today for the first time, I would say the best person covering the Lakers over at the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast, uh, Tim Cranges. Did I say your name right? It scares me a lot. Uh, I'm bad with names. It's last name's like Cranges, I don't think. Yeah, Cranges is a fake name. That's uh, that's, that's from, name from from Impractical Jokers. Don't you watch Impractical Jokers? I love Impractical Jokers. Yeah, you should know Cranges make basketball. I don't know that. Did I miss that episode? What's oh my god? It's, it's like several. Name of their fucking like four that they, they used to go on stage. Wow, that's bad. And I actually really like that show. I was actually watching it over dinner before I came on here. All True TV does is run reruns. Well. The great Tim MBA from Lakers Exceptionalism. Welcome to your Made His Voyage on the program. Thank you so much for making Aren't time. Are you guys for part us. of Blue Wire now? We are, yes, part of Blue Wire. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Blue Wire Mafia. Let's go. Uh, so we're going to get into the Heat Lakers game. There's a lot to talk about, there's a lot to get into. And I think the Heat are kind of in a weird place since Jimmy Butler's come back uh, since January 30th. Uh, they have a positive point differential, they're plus one net rating. Uh, and their defense is second in the league in that time span. Their offense is total poop. We're going to get into that later. But there's there's some trends to talk about. And Tim, I, I kind of want to talk with you about that game yesterday because they they came in there, obviously, huge, huge underdogs. You know, I know that the Lakers were missing Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder, uh, the Heat missing Goran Dragic, and they had like half a Tyler Hero. Uh, but, you know, I don't think anybody reasonably expected the Heat to go into L.A. after their barrage of bad losses. Uh, and they actually play... I think probably their best defensive game of the season. And I kind of want your perspective on them because, you know, we're kind of in our heat bubble and we complain about the same things every week. And I kind of want to know what you saw. I mean, you're one of the best people covering the league. I know you run, um, you run a lot of analytical stuff over on your website as well, which I would like you to plug the basketball index. So what, what, what are you noticing from them? Yeah, so I thought Miami did a really good job from a game planning standpoint. And you guys came into this game, I think, with a different perspective. On my podcast, we went into this one and the Brooklyn one saying, hey, we might go 0 for 2. The Lakers are not in a good place right now. The offense has not been good for weeks. And it just, this team is different. They don't have AD. They don't have Schroeder, who just kind of helps keep them afloat. Um, And from like an X's and O's perspective, the Lakers have really struggled with the same couple things. And I think Miami did a good job implementing a lot of those tactics defensively, specifically to slow down LeBron. I think he had a really inefficient game and there were a lot of little granular things that I didn't, some of it I noticed live, some of it I didn't notice live, but noticed really blatantly on the film, but uh, huge props to Spo. Um, and I saw him with like a comment after the game about like the, the, the chess match and adjustments to the adjustments to the adjustments from the finals. And that carried over to this game, which was exciting for me. I love the defensive package because they, they threw everything at LeBron. Nikias and I, I think this has said a lot about great players, like like great offensive players like LeBron, Luka, Jokic. 
you can't give him the same look multiple times. And I thought that he did a good job of switching, hedging, you know, coming up to the level of the screen, fighting over the screen, uh, trapping, uh, doing all sorts of things. I thought their their help defense was as disciplined as they've been all year. I thought Jimmy off the ball uh, was magnificent coming in to help. I thought he was kind of the difference maker on that drive. Like we, you know, their defense sometimes has punch, sometimes doesn't uh, kind of want, you know, your perspective on that, Nikias. They brought it like um, the biggest takeaway I had just from watching that game, like Miami did execute pretty well defensively. They did throw out a bunch of different looks. Um, ultimately, it was just fun to watch. Like Miami was locked in throwing the kitchen sink at LeBron and LeBron is just playing chess on the basketball court. Like just watching, you know, again, Miami mixed in some traps. Once they went to the hedge and recover stuff, it just got fun. And also infuriating because, <laughs> you know, it, it would work for a possession. And then the next possession, LeBron's hitting the guy on the slip. And then LeBron's faking the pass to the slip and he's dishing it to the quarter. Or he, you know, Miami's going to do that. LeBron's just kind of dribbling and waiting out the hedge. Then he's attacking and then he's forcing the rotation and then he's kicking it out and Miami's scrambling from there. So it was just this constant back and forth all game long. And like, at a certain point, I just stopped trying to analyze every possession. I'm just like, this is just fun. I just want to see who wins this possession at this point. It was. It kind of reminded me of the finals a bit because they really went. I think that's one of the things that really kept them in those games that they won was that hedge and recover stuff because really, like, they have no answer if LeBron wants to have you know KCP or any or any small screen for him, and you get Duncan or or any any guard in the pick and roll. There's really there's really not much they can do. And Miami's rim defense isn't good, right? It's just, for the most part, offered no resistance. Uh, and jump back in real quickly. Just one more note on just the hedging. In the second half, Miami was still trying to hedge and recover, but they were also scram switching at the same time because LeBron was just kind of picking out the weak leaks on defense. So that just added another layer of the chess match between LeBron and high pick and roll. It was just, it was fantastic content. What was Tim? What were those granular things that you were talking about that you saw in rewatch? Because there's there's a lot to take away. Yeah, so you guys, I think, covered the inverted ball screens and those step up screens the Lakers like to run, and how Miami started showing and recovering against those. Usually, teams will either just switch them, or they'll go under, or LeBron will get an easy drive. But by showing hard with Robinson or whoever it happened to be, you stop his momentum, and then what that might give up is that little pocket pass to the slip to like West Matthews or KCP or whoever. Um, but then if the defense is kind of loaded up in the paint, that's not going to, you know, cause a whole, a whole lot of, uh, defense or pressure on the defense. What I did like, um, was Miami a few different times. I think they defended not just the, the actions well, but they defended LeBron's tendencies and his moves. Well, like he goes to a spin move a lot. He's very effective with it, but his pass out rates on it are very, very low. So multiple times in this game, I saw him commit turnovers, um, or get really, you know, really tough shots at the rim because a second defender would come in from the perimeter as he was doing that spin move and come in to try to block a shot or really disrupt him, try to try to tap it away from him. Uh, another couple times he'd be driving and he overpenetrated a little bit and he might be able to euro step that first guy, but then when like Kelly Olynyk's the second guy there ready to take a charge, I think he had two. There might have been three different turnovers where LeBron was in the air, about to commit a charge, shot blockers waiting and just had to get rid of the ball quickly. And somebody was open, but when it's all happening so fast, that is a tough read for him. And then the other thing is a few different times we saw Miami give up a couple different switches to LeBron. And 
I think big picture, you can look at this and say, hey, well, LeBron should be able to score on Tyler Hero or Kelly Olynyk or whoever it happens to be. But what Miami was doing as like a team defense was they would really pack the paint when LeBron was isolating from the perimeter. They would be stunting pretty hard into his driving lanes. And one, you know, that has a deterring effect. There were times where he just took a contested jumper instead of even trying to drive. And then there were other times where he would drive and that stunt would be there and he'd have to pick the ball up. And then all of a sudden he only has his two steps and he has to make some quick decision and can't get all the way to the rim. There were other times where he was almost committing turnovers and uh, by really packing that pain and making it more difficult for him to drive himself and kind of giving up some advantages on the weak side from a numbers perspective, which plays into what the Lakers have been weak at for weeks in like setting pin and flare screens, or if they give you a two on one weak side, the Lakers don't really do much to attack it. Um, And that's been something we're actually tracking uh, over, over at my pod, the Lakers have been really bad at that. So Miami tapping into that weakness of the Lakers with their X's and O's was, I think a really smart thing and ended up causing a lot of issues for the Lakers. And when you can ultimately switch give up really horrible mismatches and it still not matter because of that good team defense, that means you can really switch a lot of on and off ball actions without as much fear of LeBron or AD, usually AD not in this game, but the Lakers offense as a whole is kind of broken in that one sense because they haven't figured out how to attack that extra help on post-ups or the the isolations. And we saw that yet again uh, on what Saturday, Saturday night. Yeah, I want to chime in because I know a lot of Heat fans, especially like against the losses against the Clippers and the Warriors, a lot of Heat fans were like just going after like Spo, especially just about his coaching job this season. It felt like that was his best coaching job so far uh, throughout these first, what, 30 games that they've played so far this season. Uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on like how you felt Spo was, you know, yesterday with all those adjustments that he made compared to what we've seen so far earlier in the season. If that's something that we could build off. I think that's a good Nikaias question. Uh, this I feel like this has been a down year for Spo, honestly. But yeah, I would Same. agree that this, <laughs> I would agree that this was his uh his best matchup. Um, I don't want to spoil, you know, a later portion of the pod. I'm still a little concerned with what Miami does when they split up Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. That definitely plays into some of the offensive issues that they've had so far this year. So I, I don't really think there was a great answer to that on Saturday either, but it ultimately didn't matter. Um, Tim, I actually have a question for you since you mentioned um, Miami's defensive game plan and specifically sure. this thing. Um, basically, not the last play of the game, but I think with 17 seconds left, it was the West Matthews shot. The Lakers go to their patented elbow action, basically pitch it to the top of the key. It's a flex cut in the corner. Basically, you're, you're forcing the defense to switch or send two to one player, and then that other guy's open. Were you surprised that they used Mark Gasol as the trigger man on that instead of LeBron? LeBron, if I'm remembering correctly, LeBron was the guy from the corner cutting off the screen. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, he's cutting off the screen. Wes Matthews popped out for the three and missed. Okay, yeah, that that's an action that worked early in the season and then has not worked for weeks other than the one time against Philly when they completely blew the coverage on it. Danny Green didn't bump the cutter, and the Lakers got a, a, a score there, almost won the game. But that is a set the Lakers haven't really been getting good offense from. And this has been a frustration of mine where it's like, we only run a couple plays, it seems like, and some of them just like straight up don't work or like defenses have figured out how to stop them and the Lakers haven't yet countered on that play. I do like Mark as 
the passer with LeBron trying to cut, you know, you want to get the ball in LeBron's hands. And ideally, if like he's able to draw both defenders, Wes can kick, pop out and try to shoot that three. But uh, it, it just seemed to degrade from there. And I think I'd rather have KCP as a guy trying to get his feet set and take a shot off motion a little bit more than Wes Matthews. And given who might have been guarding him as opposed to Wes, you might have a, a smaller player trying to take LeBron and, you know, ideally in that situation, either you get LeBron cutting open or maybe he can seal a dude off, get a post mismatch and try to attack quickly before some extra help can come. But so I, I don't mind Gasol as a passer because there are a lot of guys on this team I don't really like as is the passer. I mean, like we're missing Schroeder, ADs, like Caruso. He's a guard. He's not really a playmaker. And a concept, a, a friend of mine, uh, Ben Solak, who does some really good uh, football work. He's he's oh, a friend from my from from church camp. Uh, he talks about this concept of passing accuracy versus placement. Accuracy is like the quarterback throws the ball and like it's catchable. Placement is you're throwing the ball and it's in like the right spot where the guy can actually catch it, make a move and like get the yards after the catch. Caruso will like not commit turnovers with his passes, but he's throwing up guys feet. He's throwing over their heads. It's not in the shooting pocket. So I wouldn't want a guy like him who's also smaller. Maybe he gets pressured in that situation being that trigger man. THT is not yet a good passer. So I like Gasol in that situation. I don't really like the play call overall, um, but I think they at least tried to put most of the right pieces in the right spots. It just didn't work out. Tim, I kind of pick your brain on this. Someone in chat, Adrian W743 asks, can you guys talk about the inbounds play late? That was a turnover. I feel like that was a slow play that was used before and also failed. Why not throw a lob to Bam, who was also guarded by Matthews, for example? Now, I think that was Andre as the inbounder, right, guys? Yeah, we've seen it a bunch, actually, in the playoffs. I think in the Milwaukee series, there was a play just either Milwaukee or, or, or Boston. There was a play like that towards the end of either the fourth quarter or overtime where they did something similar to that. I think there either was close to a turnover or there was a turnover. and. Yeah, I don't know why Spellick's going for that play because just he just throws it up like 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 Jimmy Butler is some wide receiver or something. Game two versus the Bucks, Philly Heat and Chat says. Yeah, yeah, that was the Jimmy turnover late. Yeah, oh, that was that game. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was. I don't know why he does that. <laughs> I'm just. I mean, I, I I tweeted out. I was like, I just really hope they have Andre inbound and not KO. Obviously, for the bad Andre free throw shooting. But also because Ko has just—I I don't know—he he like doesn't have a clock in his head sometimes. I don't know what's going on when he's an inbound passer against the Clippers. They had that that violation, five second violation late. Yeah, it was the Clippers or the Warriors? I forgot what mm-hmm. both those games were equally freaking frustrating. And I don't mind. So in that last play, I just pulled the, the video up so I can make sure I'm remembering the right one. I like the fact that Miami spread out the Lakers defense. There wasn't going to be a situation where you try to throw that lob pass and then a second defender comes in that you weren't expecting uh, except for Caruso, the, the guy guarding the inbounder. So there, he really took away that one pass to Jimmy. And honestly, I would have flipped since uh, Bam had Wes on him, put him where Jimmy was in the middle of the court in a place where he can really seal off and throw that lob up there. And he has plenty of space to either where he's standing now or backing up a couple steps to make a play on the ball. He was in the corner. So if you throw that ball, that lob up in the corner, he doesn't really have as much space. He has to walk a tightrope to, with Wes in his body, spin off, you know, jump, catch that ball, and then try to do something with it. And if he, you know, does jump up, gets that lob pass, Caruso's probably coming down, and they've got a double team in the deep corner in the backcourt. So I, I you know, I, that would be a situation where if I'm Jimmy, I say, hey, Bam, go stand here. I'm going to stand there. Let's do the same play. Just 
you know, do exactly what uh, I forget the the question the commenter's name was, but I, I think that's a really smart idea to just throw that touchdown pass instead. So I'm going to reel off some numbers for you, Nikias, uh, since Jimmy Butler's return uh, on their defense. And we're going to do the same with the offense later in the show. Since Jimmy's come back, so it's January 30th against the Kings. Uh, they're second in defensive rating. They're 12th in rebound percentage. They're ninth in opponent three-point percentage. They're second in contested three-point attempts. And they're eighth in opponent field goal attempts at the rim uh, per 100 possessions. So they're doing good things, right? They're they're doing a good job of limiting the rim, which is kind of what Eric Spolster defensive have done the last two seasons. Uh, they're helping off those corner guys. I think one of the big adjustments since Jimmy's come back is they have Jimmy as a helper, not as an on-ball guy. And I think they're just deciding to fall on the sword that Kendrick Nunn and Duncan and Tyler just aren't going to stay in front of dudes. And they're just going to help early off those corners uh, and the wings. And they're just going to try to dig and recover, which I think Jimmy's been phenomenal at, by the way. Like, I think that that has just been, yeah, he's, a, he's a fucking tornado. It's like great to watch. Mm. He's really helped. I mean, he's essentially fixed the rebounding that looked. Um, I'm, I'm not like a big, they, you know, they got to get a big guy to rebound. I, I, I really don't like that. I think that sometimes when your offense is good enough, you can kind of survive it. But really, I mean, if they're going to be middle of the pack and rebounding, I, I think that's good enough. They don't need to kind of further hurt their offense by getting a guy to help them on that end. And they're getting out to shooters. So like, to me, they're going to be limited because they don't have a guy to stay in front of guards. I think that that's just, that's presently constructed. That's really what they have. And, and they're not going to get better until they get a guy like Lonzo, who I, fingers crossed. But like until yeah. until they get a guy to defend, you know, guards up top, uh, that's really as good as it's going to get. I think, because I, I do think, like I said before, that I think they might be a little bit more 12th in defense than fifth. Uh, but I mean, this is, these are, these are good trends. Um, I would agree. Like them locking down with the help principles. And having those controlled closeouts, I think that's your best bet because, as you mentioned, the guys up top or, you know, those point of attack offenders just kind of aren't good. Like, this that's is being probably, kind. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the best stretch of defense that Kendrick Nunn has played since I would say like late November to early December of his rookie season. And most of that value has come off the ball. Like, I was actually thinking of looking up what his wingspan is. Um, during the game last night because he just gets his hand in the passing lanes. It feels like more than I would expect him to. He's very good at kind of, he's sneaky good at point two. Okay, see that? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, he's sneaky good at like splitting the difference. It's just the point of attack stuff that he's awful at, which you would hope. Guys on screens. (laughs) Yeah, like you would hope that would be reversed with him being the point guard, but whatever. But um, I think that's been huge. That's why Spo has been a little bit more liberal with those guys getting aggressive. Like, not so much last night, but just over the last couple of weeks, they have been trapping more. Um, they've been more comfortable throwing in some zone looks and just kind of forcing guys to rotate. I think there was a real emphasis. Um, the first time I noticed it was the, I think it was the first Knicks game when they just started sending two to the ball. Like, I think he used that game against an offense that isn't great to just kind of get them used to making those rotations and get them used to communicating and moving just to kind of liven up the defense a little bit. And now that he, that the heat have faced some better teams, I think that, I mean, I think those live ball reps have helped out. I think that Olenek, by the way, has been really, I think this is as good as I've seen him defend. I think as a help guy, he's been really good. I think as a man trapping, uh, he's been more than adequate. And I mean, again, some some of that was that Knicks game. 
Some of that was the Kings, you know, but some of that was the Warriors and some of that was the Lakers. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of happy that Duncan fouled out later. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, I want to, I, I actually want to save that because I have a lot of conversations for what the Heat do at Power Forward because it's been driving me insane. But I think Olenek's been, I mean, Nikash, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think this has been his best defensive season. I don't, not that he's like great or anything, but I think he's been survivable and at times slightly above average, especially in drop and, and like in their different coverages. I, I know that they've gotten a little more complicated lately, but I, I think he's been more than good, more than adequate. Just best defensive season of Kelly Olenek's. Like Kelly in, at Miami tenure. Like, uh, you know, okay. I was not, not asking to remember those. Days yeah. Of how serviceable he was. But I would probably give him that. Um, of course, you have to throw out the obvious Kelly Olenek caveat that things can change in a possession <laughs> for him. Yeah. <laughs> But right now he's he's executing the scheme, and that's all you can ask him to do right now. And I, I, I don't think this falls on the bigs. I think a lot of their defensive issues just fall on the fact that they just can't contain dribble penetration, and it's it's. I mean, yeah. and but they limit attempts at the rim. I mean, from the help, but they're I think last in the league or second to last in the league at um, field goal percentage in at the rim. So I mean, once once guys get past, they have no resistance because Bam is either switching or out there. Um, kind of want to pivot to offense because I think that. You know, their defense is what it is. It's It's been good. But the reason why they're not better is because of offense. So I'm going to reel off kind of the, in the same time period. So from the 30th of January to now, uh, their offensive numbers. They're 24th in offensive rating. They're 28th in turnover percentage. They're 17th in free throw attempts per 100 possessions. They're 25th in three-point percentage. They're 10th in three-point attempts. And they have the seventh fewest field goals at the rim per 100 possessions. And they're 30th in points off turnovers. Uh, on the season. They're getting so this is this is just like in in general NBA wouldn't let me filter uh, by date, but for the season they're getting 0.88 points per possession off handoff actions and they lead the league by a lot in them. Um, and last year they were getting 1.07, so uh, that's quite the <laughs> that's quite the change. They don't Tim they don't make their life easy ever right so they're they're not scoring off turnovers they're like a barely a below average free throw team. Uh, they don't get open threes. They don't get shots at the rim. Uh, they don't offensive rebound. And I thought yesterday was pretty indicative. I mean, you you saw like there were there were moments, especially in the in the Jimmy and Bamless minutes, or in the Jimmy and Andre minutes, uh, which they have a what was it a ninety six offensive rating when they play together. Um, you know, it, it's I'm curious as to what you think there because I don't I don't know how much of it is fixable and how much of it is that they just don't have the personnel right now. I think they do at least a good job of trying to maximize some of the skill sets available. Like Duncan Robinson, he's been less effective this year with the handoff actions, but I saw several occurrences even early in the game, even in a game that I don't think he hit a three until like the third quarter or something. Yep. But they used him like first play of the game in elevator screen set counter where he ended up setting a back screen lob for bam, two points right there. I saw several other times where, um, the Lakers were defending double high ball screens to try to pull out the help defense from the paint. And the Lakers run a catch hedge, soft hedge, flat hedge. I don't know what you want to call it scheme where they're at the level of the ball. And Miami did a good job of hitting the lobs off of that. And then the Lakers started playing drop coverage instead. And it just kind of all went away. Um, once LA went to drop or once LA was switching stuff and it came down to like one V one offense, Miami really struggled. I thought, I mean, credit to Wes Matthews, credit to 
Uh, Caruso was great. Um, Montrez Harold defending Bam a few times one on one was good. Kuzma was good. Oh, was um, awesome. Wes Matthews especially though he was he's been fantastic this year defending one v one in ISO. The Lakers have just used him as like a chase dudes around screens kind of defender, which he's not as good at. But in that it, there were just way too many of those one v one situations that it, it really stood out to me as like wh- why is Miami going at this? Like they're not generating advantages. They're not playing a winning game if they're trying to isolate against Alex Caruso or Wes Matthews, like get some more. Yeah. Once a play breaks down, have second or third options or just some like freelance kind of, kind of motion where, you know, attack in ISO, but with some weak side action. So there's no extra help coming because the Lakers started digging or they started uh, stunting. I'm sorry, off the wings to help Wes Matthews uh, defend Jimmy and like Miami didn't do anything to counter that. So just little things like that were, I don't know. It was noticeable. And I haven't watched Miami's offense every single game. I watched a couple games to prep for this matchup. Um, but I don't know. I was really impressed with some of the sets. I thought there was one really cool setup with with the double high ball screens that was working until the Lakers uh, started uh, sc- doing a show and recover on that. So the uh, player. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Couldn't get downhill, couldn't attack the rim, which made the lob open. So then Miami was hitting the lob and then the Lakers started switching the action and dropping the big man. So there was a pretty good chess match going on. So from an adjustment standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, I have a lot of faith in Miami and what they're able to do. But like you're saying, I think some of it is just the the personnel isn't exactly where you'd like it to be. And you don't have the right tools in the toolkit. Like you've got some really good hammers, but you don't have any drills. And sometimes based on the defense you're facing, you need a drill. And Miami doesn't quite have that this year. Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball player strikes out when the bases are loaded. The best golfer sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you're coming up short in the bedroom, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go get to roman.com slash heatbeat21 now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you for free with two-day shipping. And the whole process is discreet and straightforward. Get Getting started is simple. Go get to roman.com slash heatbeat21 and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete the online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. 
Go get to roman.com slash heatbeat21 to get $15 off your first month. Look, that's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. Get to roman.com slash heatbeat21. Go get started to save $15 on your first month of treatment. If you could pick one like player type that you could add to this heat roster to improve both their offense and defense, what would you look for if you're Pat Riley? Like you're you're only able to bring in like one person or maybe two people at most to this team at the deadline. Like who are you trying to target to kind That's of fix some of their issues? Because yeah, Gianni like loves Harrison Barnes. I mean, he's not I'm, available. It's, just, it's I mean, just me he's trying. probably not available. That's true. Um, I kind of personally like the Victor Oladipo, PJ Tucker route. Uh, I don't know about Nikaias. I don't think Tucker's going to help you a whole lot. He so here's some here's a stat on Tucker, and this is using um, something from our, our B-ball index database where we'll look at three point shot quality. Given like, are you shooting corner threes or above the break threes? Are you catching and shooting, or are you pulling up? And like, how open are you? All that stuff. His three point shot quality over the past three seasons before this one was in the 99th percentile, 99.9th percentile, and the 99th percentile. Thank like you, first, he was second, first, and first in three point shot quality, and he was able to put up like mid thirties three point percentages. And it, as a shot maker, converting on threes, given the the quality of shots he's been given, he's underperformed every single year. Like three hundred fiftieth, two hundred seventy sixth, three hundred twentieth this year, three hundred fifty seventh. So he's not a good three point shooter. He's just getting like fed the easiest looks ever. Um, and this season that drop, that shot quality has dropped to only 13th in the league and he's shooting 33% on his three. So that's not somebody I would look at and say, oh man, we can better optimize that player. This is somebody who we can make more out of give than what they're getting in their current situation. They don't really saying he can't replace Jay Crowder is what you're telling me. I don't think so. I mean, he'll underperform on corner threes and put up decent percentages, but he's a stationary shooter. He's not a playmaker. He's not a great like screener or cutter, he's like a stick him in the corner. And then when the defense helps off of him or tries to stop James Harden, you kick it out and he's going to hit shots. But like, that's kind of what they need. Cause like they, I think for the most part, when they try to get into their North South action. So like, you know, like those double screens you were talking about, that's, that's kind of new for them. Uh, kind of having Duncan screen up top for bam. That's kind of new for them. I, I don't think they're going to their horn sets as much. And I think a part of that is they just don't have the North South juice. You know, once they get a guy up top, um, but if, cause guys help off Andre, right. And they have a lot of guys that get mm-hmm. helped off of, and they just right now, Andre is the guy in the corner making us try and take those threes, but he doesn't it, take them a lot. That's the thing. Yeah. He's and his, his shot making has been worse than 80% plus of the league for three of the past four seasons. He has not been, he's another one of those same sort of guys like on a really good team in the past was getting fed really, really easy corner three looks and putting up decent percentages, but less than the average three point shooter would. But he's still getting like wide open, like nobody in the area threes, and because he doesn't want to take them half the time. He stopped taking. He stopped taking the layups. That's been like driving me crazy. Him and Jimmy lead the league in passing under layups. It's driving like Nikias. He was one for two yesterday, actually. The ninety-six offensive rating with Jimmy and Andre together has been trending downward since Jimmy has come back. It was like a hundred, and it's just it's it gets worse and worse every game. Um. You can't play Jimmy, Andre, and Bam together because it's just three non-shooters and whoever's off the ball is just getting super helped off of. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know the solution there. Um, Dragic isn't going to take this team from the 25th best offense to the 
even the 12th. I mean, that's, that's a pipe dream. I mean, he'll help, but I don't, I don't really know what they could. And they need Andre for the defense. Like their well, defense. They, they need their three point shooting to go up. I mean, Tyler hasn't been as effective this season on his spot up attempts like he was last year. But I mean, he's that's, a second that's year a big guard. Issue. That's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, they can't solve cool switches. Like, switches well, like, there's, are, there's really like only like one guy shooting 40% now from three. And I think it's none now. I think he finally got his percentage up to 40%, or at least he's shooting over 40% in the last month he's played. Ask what do you make of this? Because I'm it's it's this their their power forward situation has driven me insane. Yeah. I mean, the short answer is that they need a trade. Like, I don't know if it's I don't think it's PJ Tucker. Like, I, I think PJ's kind of done, honestly. He just hasn't looked good in Houston this year. Like the lateral movement just kind of hasn't been there. Um, Tim just gave you the numbers on the quality of looks that he's taking and the dip in efficiency on those looks. And obviously, he's not going to help juice your offense when guys get helped off of. If he's not shooting, then if he puts the ball on the deck, it's a it's a turnover or a miss shot, which is basically a turnover. Danny Green esque. Like mm. it's, it's not good. I mean, even Danny Green can take a dribble and then relocate. And I'm proud of him. That, that wasn't like, there before. Like PJ Tucker isn't even doing that for you. So I do think they need to find some solution at the four. I'm not sure what it is, but most of I would just say most of the half court issues that Miami has, it comes from a lack of that north south dynamic. Um, I think they miss Goran Dragic in that regard. Jimmy Butler is really the only guy that pressures the rim on a consistent basis. And when he's out of the game, that's where the half court offense becomes even easier to guard. Obviously, you have worse players out there when Jimmy isn't on the floor. But beyond that, Jimmy not being on the floor means you can switch a lot of the pretty stuff that Miami runs. Like, I don't think, you know, just judging Spo, I don't think the offense look, looking bad is from a lack of creative play calling or from a lack of frequency of Spo drawing up stuff and kind of quarterbacking from the sideline. I just think that you can switch a lot of what Miami does or you can afford to, you know, if Andre Godal's in the game, you can help off of Andre Godal's completely enormous if the ball swings to him. He's either taking a corner three and knocking down, I don't know, 35, 36% of them or whatever. Or if he drives, who cares? You know, it, it just doesn't matter. There's nobody outside of Jimmy Butler that, consist- that consistently moves the defense. And then, you know, once he touches the paint, then you can run the other stuff. Like then Miami can set up some of the hammers and some of the flares that they like to get to when they're really rolling. But without that, it's just a lot of side-to-side stuff. So if you're able to take away that initial drive and rotate, and Jimmy Butler has kind of compounded that issue because he's passing out of a lot of layups, then the offense just kind of halts, and there's nothing behind it because nobody else can get to the rim without an advantage. And in in a situation like that, I, I think if you, from a personnel standpoint, you don't have the driving type of players who are going to be able to attack north, south, south and break down that defense. But you do have some shooters on this team. And it, we were just talking about they're underperforming a bit. It hasn't been fantastic, but defenses are still respecting Duncan Robinson. Defenses are going to respect Tyler Hero coming off of like there was a, a, a we call it a wiper action for for Duncan in this game where he came off of one flare and then immediately came off that same flare the other way. Those sorts of things attract the defense's attention. And when teams do start to switch things, because I think that's what we're going to see with those types of actions, instead of the guards getting downhill, what you need are your big men slipping, sealing, getting inside position, 
and finishing cuts, finishing dump offs um, as just more prominent of an option. This was something that going back to last finals when Miami was beating up that Laker defense for a little bit and, and the Lakers were switching a bit. That was why they were they knew the Lakers were going to switch some stuff and they were countering it in the right ways. Not just, you know, you're switching. So let's pick up our pick a mismatch and attack it. But conceptually, schematically attacking the switch with actions themselves. So I think there's an area of opportunity there that, you know, perhaps spoken focus a little bit more on that, a little bit less on some other areas to try to mitigate the lack of that north-south attacking. And I think with some of the big men, or even with Andre, if he's not going to be respected weak side corner as a shooter, he can be, especially if he's like a power forward in some of these lineups, be that trigger man from like the elbow instead of from the perimeter. So the angles are a little bit better to pass to cutters because he still has a little bit of that passing. And I think Bam can hit some of these reads. I think Jimmy can make some of those reads because I see a team with some shooters and some slashers, but not as much on ball driving sort of ability. And that's from an outsider perspective, but that's maybe one potential schematic concept to, you know, poke a little bit more at to try to fix some of these things offensively. All right. So let me rephrase my question as a Lakers fan, (laughs) who's the player you'd be most terrified that the heat could acquire that would just like, just like, Brian, you know, you're so obsessed with transaction talk. I, I need to know. I, I, I mean, Tim, you're you're a Lakers fan. I mean, trust me. If you if you saw the Heat and they added like this one piece, they're like, oh shit, I don't Tim's know how, how I feel about this series. Who's the guy that you talking about? Don't call Tim a is fan. Is it Bradley Beal? Is it Victor Oladipo? Who? I think Victor Oladipo would uh, be uh, worth a shot. I, maybe I, I don't like. I, if you give me some options, I can probably pick out the most scary of of who's available. But I, I mean, like Giannis. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I don't know quite who's available. I know the for a fact the buyout market isn't projecting to look all that good as a Lakers fan. Um, but yeah, give me some names. Who, who do you have in mind? Bradley Beal. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. if you can add Bradley Beal, I don't know what he'd cost you, but if you can add Bradley Beal, and I don't think you can, Tyler Hero, that would be very Robinson, nine first I'm so round sick of Bradley Beal talk. He's not available, and it's it's talking in circles in the world. Right, chat, chat's, chat's asking Kyle Lowry. I mean, we've Kyle gone Lowry's over good. we've gone over Lowry trades a million times. It's just really have we gone over it with a Lakers exceptionalist? Yeah, but I don't I don't know how the Heat acquire Kyle because they don't have anything. That Answer my fucking question, G. Me. Have we gone over it with a Lakers exceptional? I'm so sick of Brian. He's so fucking annoying. Can we boot him? Is that a- I just did. I, I just booted. <laughs> I just booted Brian. Uh, Brian wants the transaction talk, but he doesn't want to. Um, the kind of kind of going back to what you were talking about 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 the switching offense, about the, the kind of how team switches up. I think part of that falls on Bam a bit, and Nikaias and I have been hammering John that Collins. Nikaias <laughs> and I have been hammering that. Uh, for a while, how like when they switch, uh, when teams switch those actions, I think part of that falls on Bam to kind of create the advantages. And I think you you said this earlier, like Miami's really not helping themselves, and they're not creating they're not creating mismatches, they're not creating advantages for themselves in their offense. And like I think it really kind of came to a head uh, with the Raptors last season when they were switching that OG and Norman Powell kind of when they got put in the handoffs, and Bam wasn't doing anything to to Norman Powell. And then it just kind of exploded anything Duncan did because, you know, OG had an open freaking nature. Okay. And, I, and I think I think from that point, um, Brian's discombobulated me totally. From that point, like, I've I've been frustrated with Bam at the lack of urgency and aggression 
when he has a small on him, he doesn't try to seal his man off. Then he doesn't. He, I mean, unless it's Jeff Green, he hasn't like faced up and attacked. Like it's, I don't know, Nick. Guys, am I making too much of that? Because I mean, he's the guy that they depend on. Uh, I mean, it's you know, you you look down the bench and there's not a lot of guys that you trust to self create offense. And like when teams are kind of switching, I think part of that is because Jimmy's hunting those mismatches, but Bam really doesn't. Yeah, I think like Bam kind of has to be that second guy, like especially with Goran Dragic out since he's really the one perimeter guy outside of Jimmy Butler that can get downhill consistently. I think it's up to Bam to, you know, slip against those switches. If he does get a small on him, he has to punish him and force a rotation that way or just get to the realm or get to the free throw line. He has to be more aggressive. He has to be more intentional and more physical about the way that he's handling these small matchups. Like this is something that we have discussed over the last year and a half. And even in the midst of Bam making the leap that he's made this season, it still doesn't feel like he's made enough growth in that area. And I do think if Bam takes that step against smaller matchups or just against switches in general, then I think that helps juice Miami's offense a little bit. That creates those, those aggressive digs. It creates those rotations. Then you got, you know, Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero. All those guys are not only great shooters, they're also good at reading space and relocating. So if you're able to create help from Bam, that creates easier looks for them. Because I do think Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero having down shooting years, more so Hero, it's A, it's role, because Hero has been more on ball. And I think that's kind of affected the quality of looks that he's taken. And beyond that, they're not getting as open because those same openings from last year aren't there because defenses aren't collapsing in the same way. Like, they that's the stuff that's been like symptomatic of them even last year and last year I was kind of I, I Tim last year you know when they were a two seed at some point and this was kind of the stuff I was banging the drum on and I'm like I don't I don't really know how any of this can trend upward and I, I just I it, it all kind of felt fake and then I was kind of proven right in a way because they completely fell off and they were like barely a fifth seed right and then they make the finals so it's like some of the stuff I think they can get internal growth from, but I like they feel solved. And I, I kind of agree with most of what you said about kind of, you know, they, 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 they have a lot of new wrinkles in their offense. There is some stuff. They have a lot of hammers, but no nails. And you're just kind of like they're winning games again. They have a positive point differential since their best player is back. Uh, the other thing that I like is that, you know, when Jimmy's on the court, their offense is positive. They have a 110 offensive rating when he plays without Dragic. And when Dragic plays without Jimmy, they're at a 114 offensive rating. When neither of them on on the court, they're at a 100 offensive rating and they're a minus almost 14 net rating. So part of me thinks that if they just get the second ball handler, a lot of this gets fixed. Uh, but I, I don't know how much of that gets fixed. Could have had fucking James Harden, man. <laughs> yeah, and Avery Bradley doesn't help with that. Not at all. And he can't even get on the court. Like they, Tim, they, they really depended on kind of internal growth from Tyler Hero. And I think that, Nikaias, do you think that they banked on Hero being better than Dragic this year? Uh, I think so, especially since they started them. Like they wanted to keep going in that bench role. And if you're going to have a point guard out there, they had really no reason to trust Kendrick Nunn after the way he kind of, like just kind I still of, don't trust Kendrick Dunn. I just <laughs> to plan it the second half of the season last year. So they needed Tyler to not only grow as like a pick and roll ball handler, which he has done. So like the pick and roll numbers, I believe, are still good. But he has gotten better. 
I would say, better feel for how to attack those gaps and drop coverage. Like the pull-up's been there. He's sneaking more often. He's pressuring the rim a little bit more, which is super encouraging, but he doesn't pressure the rim enough. So the fact that he can't completely replicate that portion of Goran Dragic's game is why, you know, he's been better, but he hasn't been a solution to Miami's problems. What do you make of those numbers I said that about how their offense is like generally good when one of Gorn or Jimmy are on the court and it just goes to total crap when they're both off? Those are your two drivers. That's <laughs> <laughs> just pretty cut and dry. Like those are the two guys that with a screen or without a screen, you know, Gorn more so against bigs, against switches more than anything. But those are the two guys that can touch the paint and actively look to touch the paint. And when those guys are off the court. It's a lot of side to side and random Kelly Olenek post-ups. So uh, that's kind of what it is. You know, yep. t- no, go, and, go ahead. And, and I was going to say like hero. So he's been more efficient as a pick and roll ball handler. But when we look at how he's attacking in ball screens, 72% of his scoring possessions are pull-up jumpers. And he's been good at those. But that, you know, going into this game for my podcast game planning, it was, hey, if we catch edge against him, which is our base coverage, it, most team, for most teams, it's not. But for the Lakers, it is. He shouldn't hurt us in the ball screens. Uh, he is not going to... Like, if you take away that pull-up three or pull-up two and you force him to have to beat a hedge and finish at the rim or force Bam Adebayo to be a short roll playmaker, like, I like our odds. And we saw that play out a little bit. We didn't see too much of it from Miami. But part of what allows that to happen is the fact that right now as a passer, as a playmaker... He isn't quite there. Hero isn't quite there. And we see that in his B-ball index playmaking metrics. We look at his passing creation volume. He had a D grade last year. His passing efficiency last year was an F. His passing versatility, the how well he's seeing the floor, the types of passes he's making was a D plus. And that's versus everybody versus just guards. It looks way, way worse. So he right now isn't, or at least last year, we haven't run the numbers yet. We're going to run that this, this week, but he wasn't making those right reads. And this year, I mean, this is his chance to try to work on that in a year where seeding may not matter as much. You still want to make the playoffs, of course, and you want to get into round into good shape. But that, I think, is a weakness. And then also Bam Adebayo, as a, as a short roll scorer, when he finishes strong, he's good. As a player, he's not quite there yet. And he, as a when what? we were previewing the finals last year, it you was... A I, I, as, as a what? As a short roll playmaker. Okay. He, so he can make handoff reads he can make some set play like he's standing on the play uh, he's standing on the perimeter passing to a dude who's cutting um but when he gets the ball in a short roll and he needs to make a split second decision he's often just passing to the first guy he sees instead of passing to the right player serving the floor or knowing where guys are as he's catching the ball and that i think is the next step in his development and once he gets that down that is going to be a counter for miami as a team for when teams start catch hedging more or start showing and recovering. And instead of him catching a lob, he's catching the ball with 15 feet between him and the basket and needs to make some decisions. So if he can figure that out, that's going to be really important for the playoffs because that is a style of play where a lot more defenses get away from drop, drop coverage. And you're going to be see more switching. You're going to see more catch hedging. You're going to see more blitzes. You're going to see more show and recover. And that is one of the many counters that works against several of those coverage options that's going to be really important so that's another thing with with the miami ball screens that going into this game i was like hey i'm not scared we're going to drop against jimmy we're going to catch against hero and that's like an offensive engine for this team that just shouldn't work if we execute well and for the most part it didn't in this game 
And by the way, that held in the finals too, especially against Hero, really struggled against those drops. And I remember that we went on Twitter and I was <laughs> you like, remember that, guys. I, I remember that because I remember how dumb I felt when, you know, you had run all these numbers and I was like, ah, oh, was a small sample. What is this? You're two like- possessions? Who cares? And then the drop, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, this guy can't, they can't solve the drop. I go, this is bad. Yeah, I, I, I very, very clearly remember that. And I, I remember that too. NBA Reddit remembers that. Yeah, yeah. NBA, we were we were the main characters of NBA Reddit, and Tim is literally the we. Nicest you mean you, uh, Brass and I. Uh, Tim is literally the nicest human being on Earth, baby. Only second to Nikias, who's the other nicest person on Earth. Uh, but that was something that I think was made super apparent in the finals. And the other thing was that Miami was, you know, I know that Dragic didn't play, but they were really short of ball handler because when AD kind of guarded Jimmy. And, you know, obviously Tyler can't solve just the Lakers' basic defensive coverage. They had no, they had nowhere to swing the ball to to attack because Jimmy just was struggling against AD unless unless AD went to the bench. And they really had no recourse. I, I still think they're a ball handler short. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we brought that full circle back to last year. Okay, I want to get you guys out of here. I don't want to take more of your time. Both of you have been incredibly generous. Um I have to antagonize Nikias about Boogie Cousins, who is available. Chad's actually you. asking. Yeah, Chad's been asking. I've been. I I can't Even wait. Schmolnik asked Nikias, "Why do you hate Boogie to Miami so much? Who hurt you?" I don't think anyone's hurt. He's just bad at basketball. I agree with you. By the way, I I'm I I'm 100 with you. He's done. He's cooked. He can't move. He can't move. Like. I don't see how you look at Miami's issues. They lack rim pressure. The shooting is down. And then you look defensively. Where they're good. Point of attack, you know, then they're good. But like you look defensively, point of attack is bad. And you need guys that can rotate over and take away things. DeMarcus Cousins solves literally none of that. None. So, I, I think he fans only like him just because he was he's a, a name. All-star. He's a yeah. name, and people know him. And they just, they, I think, fans look at teams getting offensive rebounds. They look at Kent Bazemore running rough shot over them, and they're like, "We need a big, we need a tougher Bama soft." And that's the Twitter nauseum coverage for a week. And then nobody talks that, like that. Gee. That's what, listen. That's what they sound like in my head. Uh, but I'm with Nikias. I'm, I'm out on him. I'm out on Griffin. That's another dude who can't move. Has no dunks on the season. Does he have a dunk yet? Probably not. I don't think so. No, he's not even playing right now. They're it's sitting crazy. Out. How does this guy? I think mean, I, I, and people like think he's going to help their rebounding and he's going to like give them vertical like threat. I don't I don't see that. Yeah, that version of Blake is long gone. I think if you want Blake Griffin, you want him to replace Andre Iguodala as like your backup four, which I mean, there's definitely a case to be made because the passing, in theory, the passing is there. I hate that take that Alf said in chat. He's better than Silva. I don't care. That doesn't mean he'll play. That's also true. But like, you hope that the playmaking kind of be replicated and you hope that the shooting bounces back. I don't think he's as bad of a shooter as he's been this year. So like, if you're making the pro Griffin case, it's the shooting and the passing and you're replacing the 6'5", 36-year-old at power forward. Was he but just an all-star last season? What happened? He was not an all-star last season. No, he, he wasn't. Was, oh, I thought I saw somebody on Twitter say so I'm looking it up. That's no, it was, I think it was like two two years ago. 2018, 2019, he yeah. was an all-NBA player. Uh, he was really good that year. Just 24. Lots of injuries. He's not the same guy. He's not playing oh, the yeah. same style as as when he was pushing Detroit into the – like just he himself getting Detroit into the playoffs. And, just looking at his field know. goal percentage alone. Oof. Yeah. That's bad. 
He's a you know guy. who will help you rebounding? DeMarcus Cousins will help you rebounding. There's a lot he's not good at, but that is the one thing. He's, they don't he's need the help. First yeah. place. Here's another first name place. that I know G would love. Andre Drummond would help you rebound. I'm interrupting our guest. So uh, DeMarcus Cousins, boogies. Uh, we have a, a metric at B-Ball Index. Looks at your defensive rebounding success rate. So like, you know, of the 20 chances you got, how many of them did you actually pull in that were contested? His success rate is the highest of any player in the league this season. And uh, his real adjusted defensive rebounding rate, which looks at when he's on the court, how does he help the team's rebounding, is 96th percentile. So there's plenty he can't do. And I don't think he's a fit for your defensive scheme or a lot of your offensive issues. But uh, as a rebounder on defense, he's, he's still really, really good at that one thing. So Brian mentioned hearing, Andre. Go, go ahead, guys. No, no, you go. I was about to say, what I'm hearing is that he's going to miss shots on offense and he's not going to make the other team miss shots, but he will clean them up. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Box score. <laughs> Box score. Brian mentioned Andre Drummond, who is another player I just don't want anywhere near. I'm also, Tim, I'm also like, I also have an affinity toward the Raptors and he's been linked to them too. And I'm like, just keep him away. Like just, they have, they have Boucher. Like just, I, I'm, I'm fine. I don't like Aaron Baines, but I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Baines over Drummond. I just don't want Drummond anywhere near any of the teams I like. He's been good though. The, the difference between him and like Blake or Boogie is like Drummond's actually like been good this year. Allegedly. And he's good at what he's good at. He can't do what he can't do. But if you put him in the right role, he, I mean, I, he's clearly shown that he can be valuable doing the, the limited things he is good at doing. Well, he I just not worried that he doesn't fit next to Bam, which I, I see the concern. Yeah, yeah, he can't shoot. And Cab, I mean, I see to see Cavs fans complaining about him. And I, I just always worry when a fan base doesn't want you there. Why? <laughs> That's a red that like the Hawks and and John Collins. I was like, why don't they want him? Like that's always a kind of a red flag to me. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate you guys' time. I know that Nikias, you have Dunker Spot uh, to record. Tim, where can people find your work and what are you working on? Because the stuff you guys do over there, and I know you do multiple things, is legitimately incredible. And everybody that no, it's exceptional. This, it's exceptional. <laughs> and anyone that listened to this today uh, can know how much you work on your craft and how much you know. Uh, so where can people find your work and where can people get more informed? I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so on the Twitter, uh, I'm at Tim underscore MBA, or if you just look up Cranjus McBasketball, you'll either find me or you might find him practical, practical jokers. Either way, you found the right place. Um, you go follow uh, B-Ball Index on Twitter. It's the underscore B-Ball underscore Index. Over there, we have a bunch of great data. We have, uh, we just yesterday, just last night, got our current season player profiles up and running. There's like 280 data points on every single player updating daily. We're scraping like 150 different things so that you can see everything all in one place. Everything's contextualized. So you never need to know like what's a good assist to turnover ratio or like what's a good corner three point percentage. It's all right there. Um, if you go check out the site's homepage or go check out the Twitter, you'll see kind of what that looks like. But we were a little late getting it up. Uh, consulting season and no off season kind of slowed us a little bit down. But uh uh, we finally have that up. Lots of great content there. We have our new impact metric, kind of like a box plus minus or real plus minus. It's called LeBron, which uh, I am a big fan of. I know some people are turned off just by the name of it. But it's a, what was it, the inspiration for that? Huh? What was the inspiration for that name? It it was the only name that fit. <laughs> we we tried the hardest thing we could do was come up with the name for that. Like there's a lot going into it. We think it's very very good. It's tested very well. It's been one of the most predictive impact metrics, and we've we've got a lot in there stabilizing small samples and adjusting for offensive role and all sorts of stuff. Uh, we try to best practice everything, and it's a lot of fun. It's free over at the website. 
but the hardest thing was figuring out what the hell to name it. But LeBron's name actually works out well. It's not like a bunch of weird words with crazy, you know, we pick the fifth letter of, of a word to be the, the letter in LeBron. It's luck adjusted uh, player estimate using a regularized on off or something like that. I don't know. The, the, luck adjusted player estimate using a box prior regularized on off. There it is. There it is. And and as like a numbers guy, all of those words are like meaningful words that if that's all you know, it gives you it tells you what the metric is. Everything it sounds like word soup, but it makes sense. It, it's yeah, it's using advanced on off stuff. It's using box score stuff with the best weightings we could t- find through testing. We adjust for roles. We adjust for small sample sizes. And it's it's I think really good from a, a descriptive standpoint as well as predictive. And we have a bunch of free data and tools on our site where you can go like pull up the list of centers who've played at least 500 minutes for the past five seasons or this year and see how they compare. And you can see like Jimmy Butler, I think he's first among uh, players in defensive impact this year among guys who aren't a big man. Um, So he's been killing it there. You can see which guys on offense have been good or bad. And we even have forecasts that'll say, Hey, Tyler hero in three years has an X percent chance to have an all-star caliber impact. So lots of fun, cool stuff you can do there. And we have a bunch of math over at the site too that looks at coaching staffs and analyzes how well they optimize their their players and develop their players. And Spo shows up very, very well in that database. Um, so lots of cool stuff. Go check out Basketball Index and follow me on Twitter for more of this type of coverage. I don't think you'll want to watch my podcast or listen to the podcast because it's all Lakers. We do for some reason have some non-Lakers folks that listen to it just for the the X's and O's, but... Um, you're They're probably better off with Nikias's podcast for for non Lakers, more general NBA sort of stuff. Nobody needs to, listen. Nikias's podcast is essentially a Nick podcast at this point. Like nobody needs that. <laughs> you know, you are covering a contender. You are covering a generational player that I think he. You know, Heat fans are always going to have an affinity toward LeBron and the Lakers. I think in general was always uh, a measuring stick, it's particularly with the Dwayne and, and kind of Kobe rivalry, and it was always kind of Dwayne's measuring stick and the Heat's measuring stick was always playing the Lakers. So th- th- there's. There's an audience to be had, so check out. Don't you do this stuff on Twitch as well? Yeah, we'll do. Uh, so we do live during game streams, and and what we'll do is uh, like you can't like illegally stream the game through our. our oh, Twitch we know or they'll shut us down. <laughs> but uh, what we'll do is we'll be pulling stats up. We'll be pulling up our B ball index re- uh, resources. What we'll do is uh, pull up. I have like a little uh, diagram of a basketball court, and I'll pull up like a digital whiteboard and be drawing up plays as they're happening or during the timeouts to say, hey. This is the play the Heat ran. Here's why it worked. Here's how the Lakers can stop it. And you'll get that sort of coverage in-game, um, more of that X's and O stuff. Because, you know, watching the actual broadcast, you hear a lot of not as hear a lot real of Mark basketball Jackson. analysis. And even in, like, the mic'd-up moments or, the, or the, them showing the coaches talking during the, the breaks, every single time they cut out anything that's anything that's useful. Um, it's all just the rah-rah stuff. So we try to fill those gaps. And if you ever want to mute the TV and not have to listen to like pumped in crowd noise and just hear us chopping it up, having guests on and talking basketball, that's a, a good place if you're a Lakers fan or want to watch a Lakers game. What's a, what's a Twitch channel so people can, can head over there? Lakers Exceptionalism Pod. Perfect. Nikias, where what, what are you working on writing before you get out of here? Um, Actually just dropped a piece on John Collins. Oh, of interest. <laughs> yes uh miami is mentioned I'll, I'll throw that plug in there but um other than that um i'm going to write i'm going to be writing something on the minnesota timberwolves i have a take that i need to get out about how they need to build their team moving forward so i'm going to have that out uh this week um 
for the WNBA fans that may be listening to the Twitch stream. Um, I just did a Q&A with Cheyenne Parker, new forward for the Atlanta Dream. That dropped earlier this week. Um, I'm going to be recording the all-star edition of the Dunker Spot podcast in about 25-ish minutes. So that's going to be fun. Uh, Follow me on the timeline at Nikias NBA. I'm just tweeting out basketball and puns and reacting to general stupidity. Love, love wait for a Justice Winslow piece. Love to see it. Can't wait for the Justice piece. Remember, guys, the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Miami Heapy. We just did our first watch party. Uh, Myself, Jack Alfonso, uh, Frankie, we all kind of hung out and chopped it up with the listeners. It was a lot of fun. We were only going to do the first quarter. We ended up saying the whole game because it was so fun. So we're going to do multiple ones of those uh, in the month and, and all that stuff coming. We have our newsletter that drops every other week. So check that out. Uh, our staff is writing stuff. We kind of also put together some statistical packages for you guys to kind of keep up with the trends of, of the heat and what you guys should be looking for and all that stuff. So check out patreon.com slash Miami Heapy. We also have some, listen, in the super patron tier, uh, you know, that allows you to get on our hangover time postgame show or Miami Heapy pregame show. We already have a couple of takers there that we're scheduling for next week. So if you want to kind of get in on that as well and really support us, uh, thank you guys for the Twitch subs. Thank you for all the stuff. Your support has been incredible. Uh, and check us out. Hangover time this week, pregame show, postgame show after every game, pause on off days. Uh, we are moving and grooving into the season and they, uh, they hopefully they've turned a corner. So thanks again to Nikias and to Tim and eh, whatever, Brian.